Hi, I'm Stuart Spinks and welcome to episode 263 of my podcast, Beekeeping Short and Sweet. As we prepare to move colonies to the summer borage pollination, some final checks reveal a couple of hopelessly queenless colonies. Uniting these colonies with queen-right colonies makes for a quick solution. Listen in for this simple technique that gives the queenless colonies a new home. Beekeeping Short and Sweet, a beekeeping podcast for the inquisitive beekeeper with a short attention span. A beekeeper, in fact, just like me. Hi everyone, welcome to this week's podcast and what a scorcher this past week has been. Capped off today with temperatures likely to reach 30 degrees Celsius. That's something around 86 degrees Fahrenheit. If you're out in these kind of temperatures, just stay hydrated and out of the sun as best you can. These very high temperatures don't seem to bother our bees much at all, though. Not really. Mostly they seem to be content to head out and forage, with part of the colony taking up time to regulate the internal temperature of the hive. I think this is where some benefit is gained from the honeypore polyhives that we use, the thick insulating properties of the poly material helping with the extremes of heat. One of the observations you could make is the seemingly worrying practice of bearding by the bees, so-called because a giant cluster of bees may well form on the outside of the hive, usually on the side where the entrance is, and forming, unsurprisingly, a large cluster in the shape of a big bushy beard. Don't worry, they're not swarming. Well, they're not likely to be swarming. Please don't email me to say I said they were bearding when in fact they were swarming. It can happen, but mostly, but mostly it's just thermoregulation of the hive, nothing more. If you have a pond in your garden or apiary, you may well see your bees collecting water. This again is a common practice through the heat of the summer and is also used to help cool the hive by evaporation. Left to their own devices, our colonies will manage without interference. No need to erect a gazebo over them or place cool blocks under the roof. Just two examples of beekeepers' attempts to help their bees in the summer. It's true. Just leave them alone and I'm sure they'll be fine. We've been busy preparing our colonies for the summer nectar flow, which appears to have already started. No June gap here in Norfolk, it seems. I've been checking colonies all week and trying to get a view of how many frames of brood they have and what the likely implications of this will be for our summer honey crop. Any brood now is likely to form part of that summer foraging force, so eggs laid right now will emerge as adult workers in 21 days' time, that puts us right in the middle of July. Where has this season gone? We've just celebrated midsummer, the 21st of June. Um, the nights will be drawing in soon. Before we get there, though, I'm sure we'll have plenty to keep us busy and occupied. Something we have been finding is brood frames full of honey. It can be a real problem. Not nectar, you understand. This is honey, and it has the effect of reducing the available space that the queen has to lay eggs in, right at the time when I'd like to see more eggs being laid. 
The answer is to remove these frames of honey and replace with foundation. In some cases, I've actually replaced four or five frames in one hit. Hopefully, the foundation will be drawn out quickly and will get eggs laid into these before they're filled up again with stores. Now, you have to be careful with the frames you're removing. There's nothing wrong with extracting this season's honey from them, and in fact, it can add up to quite a significant quantity, but you must be careful. Personally, we never remove any frames for extraction that have any amount of overwintered stores in them. It could be a mix of honey and sugar syrup fed last autumn and winter. It could also be contaminated by any treatments used last autumn. It's just not worth the risk. Something else we've found this year is that with the late start, there appears to have been a sudden rush of late spring nectar, and brood boxes added to colonies to get the queen laying in two boxes has actually ended up being a brood box full of honey for extraction. Well, that's great news for us, if only I could lift the blasted things. Ten-frame Langstroth brood boxes weigh an awful lot, even as polyhives. Just mind your backs out there, people. Clearing out the bees from these boxes prior to removal is a pretty straightforward job, and one where we use a clearer board rather than the porter bee escapes that are available. The porter bee escapes fit into the cutout holes in your national crime board, if you've ever wondered what those holes were for. My preference is a rhombus clearer though. I always find they work quickly, and as long as your colony is queen right and you have no brood in the top box, whether it be a brood box or super, the workers will head back down into the queen right section of your hive overnight without any fuss at all. Problems arise when you don't have a queen, or if you do have some brood tucked in the super, that one time the queen found her way up into the top box because the queen excluder is bent, or you put the queen excluder down on top of the supers without checking to see if the queen was on it first, we've all been there, a week later and you find the queen in the honey boxes, eggs and brood scattered everywhere, and boxes you hoped to have filled with honey are instead full of capped brood. Don't worry, shuffle them around so you can fill one super with honey and turn it into a brood and a half setup. Alternatively, pop the queen back down into the brood box, add the queen excluder in the right place, then the super with brood on top of that, then the clearer board, and then the super with the honey on it. Don't try to clear a box that has brood. The workers just won't abandon them. Next day, you can remove the honey and leave the brood to emerge. Once they're out, the cells will be back filled with honey, so no real damage done. There are, of course, lots of different types of clearer board. They all work pretty well. The action of separating the workers from the queen right brood box seems to panic them into racing back down into the brood box, thus leaving the supers clear of bees. It then becomes a simple task of lifting the super full of honey off the hive and taking it back to the honey room, also known as your kitchen, for most beekeepers. When you remove the supers, just be careful to use a hive tool to prise the corner first. That super closest to the clearer board is likely to be stuck with propolis, and simply lifting it may well lift both the super and clearer board. The immediate outcome being a flood of bees that haven't been smoked chasing you down the garden path because, of course, 
Stuart said it would be fine, so you didn't need to light your smoker or bother putting on a bee suit. <laughs> Good luck with that. When you initially put the clearer board on, do make sure that there are no gaps and that it's sitting tightly with both the box beneath and above any gaps and you will most certainly invite robbing and although at this time of the year there aren't many wasps around you will soon lose a super of honey to all of the other bees in the area. The box will feel very light and it may well still be full of bees. I know because it's happened to us this year. One of our techno set roofs wasn't fitted correctly. I'd missed it and I'd left a small gap. Of the nine full super frames all but one had been completely robbed out, and the last one was pretty much clean. Barely half a super frame left with any honey in it at all. So you've been warned. We've only had a small crop of honey this time round. Like I said in previous podcasts, you can't expect your bees to do too much, and this year we chose to split colonies and get our numbers back up. We still managed to fill a decent number of buckets, and I'm really interested to see what it looks like under the microscope. We have had the vetch and the phacelia in flower, along with the hawthorn, so it will be really cool to see if that pollen is represented in the honey samples that we take. The final checks of the newly introduced queens have gone quite well, despite getting the timing slightly wrong. We had 45 out of 50 queens successfully accepted. They're laying well, and hopefully by the time I get to check them next time round, we should have a building brood nest area in each with some of those cells beginning to emerge and join the workforce. One slight surprise I discovered during my inspections was that a couple of colonies had become hopelessly queenless, a scenario where despite their best efforts, they've been unable to get a new queen emerged from a queen cell, successfully mated and egg laying. The two colonies in question Both had sealed queen cells left around three weeks earlier, and despite following a leave well alone policy, they've both failed. Without support now, these colonies would ultimately die, and that would be the worst possible outcome, probably preceded by egg-laying workers. So how can we rectify this without having an available queen to hand, having just introduced all of our recent arrivals into splits? Well, the easiest and quickest method of giving these colonies a new home is to unite them with a queen-right colony. Preparation is the key here. Luckily, both queenless colonies were on pallets next to the queen-right hives. I would say that if you're planning to unite colonies, try to select strong queen-right colonies where they can protect and secure their queen rather than putting a queen at risk of being killed should the queenless colony be super strong and overwhelm that smaller queenright colony. Having said that, we ended up with something of a dilemma in as much as the queenright colonies we had on the same pallets were really quite small. In fact, just a couple of frames of bees and brood. Tiny, to be honest. So these colonies were never going to do much at all this year other than survive. They seem to have just hit a wall and seem unable to grow any larger than they are. Realistically, they should probably have been culled in the spring, but having such high winter losses, I wanted to coax them along and see if they would grow. Well, they haven't. Rather than remove the queen, cage her, and then try to introduce her into another colony, 
The simplest move is uniting them. Fingers crossed that they settle in and she gets a warm welcome and starts laying frame upon frame of eggs. The process is very simple, although as with most things in beekeeping, there are at least a couple of different options available to you. My preferred method is for the queenwright colony to be placed on top of the queenless colony. With both colonies close by each other, I break down the hives to their respective brood boxes. A sheet of newspaper is placed on top of the exposed brood frames of the queenless colony. We sometimes pop a queen excluder on top of the newspaper, normally just to hold it down, but it does no harm in securing the queen in the top box. A few small holes are cut into the newspaper to give the bees something to get started on, and the queenwright brood box is lifted off its floor and placed on top of the queen excluder if you're using one, or straight onto the newspaper if you're not. Then it's a case of letting them get on with chewing through the newspaper and mingling together. The idea being that in the time it takes for them to chew through the newspaper, the general hive pheromone smells within both boxes have had a chance to mix and there's less fighting. Honestly, we've used this method over many years and it's never failed on us. I fully anticipate going back to the apiary next time we inspect and finding tiny little bits of newspaper on the floor outside and a queen laying well in the top box. I like to put the queenwright colony on top because, rightly or wrongly, I feel it gives the colony a quieter transition. The queen can continue to lay eggs unhindered and without a flood of bees piling down from a brood box set on top of it if they were the other way round. The bees in the queenless box, generally speaking, are, because they have no brood to take care of, out foraging and so tend not to move upwards en masse, being preoccupied with the day-to-day -day stuff of foraging. That said, I have spoken to beekeepers who consistently unite colonies the other way round with success, so it probably doesn't really matter which way you choose to go. All I want is a colony that I can combine, a growing brood nest, and with any luck, a strong box of bees that will overwinter well. It won't be long. On that point, now is the time to turn your thoughts towards autumn and winter. Crazy, I know, but planning is everything. For me, the summer nectar flow switches off like a tap at the end of July, just a few short weeks away. Normally, I would be looking to treat our colonies for Varroa through August and then feed through September. This year, however, is going to be slightly different as we have a planned trip to the Heathermoors for a late bonus crop for the first time. With that in mind, I have a radical change in our treatment regime for our colonies. But more on that later in the year. I just wanted to draw your attention to the looming spectre of the end of our foraging season and the need to begin thinking, at least, about your plans for colonies after that. Finally today, I'll be heading off to the unit to collect straps and blocks and foam and general kit so that I'm all set for strapping up our colonies for the move to the borage fields in the coming days. This year, we seem to have everything lined up, as our farmers have been irrigating early to get the best possible germination, and in speaking with them this last week, it seems they've had some short, sharp, heavy downpours, which has really brought the plants on nicely. The team is all set 
we have multiple beekeepers set to pollinate our farmer's borage and of course the pumpkins and with a little fair weather I'm hopeful we'll all get a bumper nectar flow this year. Gauging when it will happen is always a little bit of a roll of the dice so we're going to be putting four supers on each production colony from the start. Certainly in our largest colonies of last year we could have probably filled six supers. I'm targeting an average of 40 kilos per hive which I think is a good target to have. I guess in the back of my mind I'm hopeful it may go higher but let's not get too greedy. Maybe just a little greedy. Well that's it for this week. Don't forget to check out my website www.norfolk-honey.co.uk and for my latest videos and podcasts with more updates, tips and techniques it's the same Patreon page www.patreon.com forward slash Norfolk Honey. And remember, I'm Stuart Spinks and that was beekeeping short and sweet. Sweet.